So good. Grab your Bible uh, and turn to uh, Malachi chapter 3. If you're uh, just joining us today, we've been in this conversation for a few weeks now in the book of Malachi. It's the last book of your Old Testament. And uh, if you're new to the scriptures, a little bit of background is helpful. Malachi's name actually means my messenger. And that's exactly what he was. He was a, a messenger for God. He was the mouthpiece of of God to the people in Judah, and they were having a bit of a crisis of their faith. They, they, were, they were very challenged in what they were experiencing and how they saw things, and, and this was due to wandering away from God's commands. They, they ended up in exile for a long time, and then after returning from exile, they come back to Jerusalem, they re- rebuild their temple, and they're fully expecting that, that God's presence is going to show up again, that justice is going to reign, that things are going to be restored, the people are going to be healed, and that doesn't happen. And so they're a little bit frustrated, they're a little bit confused. And so Malachi is really this book of, of arguments it's this conversation between the people of God and God, and they're arguing with him, and they're, and they're fighting with him, and he's asking questions, and they're answering, and, and they're kind of working out the harder things in their life and what their experience is. Who, who in here this morning uh, loves a good argument? Okay, like seven of us, okay? Here's the thing, here's the thing about arguments. There's some personalities... Maybe you know these personalities. There's some personalities that are a little more prone to wanting to argue, that, that, that love to be in the fight. They actually come alive when they're in the midst of tangling. With, I see you guys looking around. Don't look at the people next to you. <laughs> they seem to, like, when they're in the middle of an argument, they're at their best. Some of us, we, like, avoid arguments and we avoid conflict. We, we try to steer clear from it. But some of us, man, we get in the battle. And whether you like it, or you don't like it, you've been in arguments. You have been in arguments with your friends, with your spouse, with your neighbors. Uh, you, you've been in arguments with people here at the church. It's, it's kind of a part of life. We have to work these things out. Now, have you ever had the experience where it becomes very clear in the middle of an argument that you are wrong? You ever been there where, where maybe, maybe you head into the argument and you are so confident that you are bringing the truth into that argument. Like you are going to lay it down and maybe you're going both barrels at somebody and just letting them know. And then in the middle of it, it becomes very clear, I am actually wrong. Some of you have, have been there. A couple weeks ago, I had one of these arguments with my son. Uh, we were outside throwing the football in our front yard. And as we're throwing the football, this, this truck pulls over to the side of the road about 100 yards from our house. And, and it, his car broke down, and he gets out, and he starts kind of working under the hood. And, and my son immediately starts running over to where this guy is. He's across the road, 100 yards away. He's like, I'm going to go over. I'm going to help. And I said, Zeke, hold up. Just chill a second. Like, let the poor guy figure his life out for a minute before you go get in his space. If you know my son, like, 
He loves people. He doesn't think like maybe there's boundaries and things like that. He just loves everybody. So he's running over there and I tell Zeke, no, 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 stay here, bud. Give him a couple of minutes. He's like, dad, no, no, no. We got to go over there. Like, like, no, we don't know who it is. And we, maybe he'll figure it out quickly. And, and you don't need to go over yet. Okay. Just, just chill, relax. No, dad, I'm going over there and you're going over there. We need to head over there right now. I'm like, Zeke, we're not going over there, man. Just give him a couple of minutes. And we went back and forth for probably five minutes. Um, my son is one who comes alive in arguments. And about five minutes in, he looks up at me right in my eyes and he says, Dad, aren't we supposed to be people who help people? <laughs> you win. I mean, it was like one of those moments where I'm like, dang it. I was kind of being selfish. I didn't want to go over and kind of figure out what was going on. And so I said, okay, Zeke. And I walk over and I introduce myself to the guy and he says, I got it figured out. You're fine. You can go back. But, but in that moment, my son definitely won, won the day. The book of, of Malachi is this argument with, with God where ultimately God wins the day. The shoe drops. They're fighting it out with God, and it becomes very clear that there's one person who's in the right, who's actually always in the right. Let's pick up uh, the story where Pastor Stacy left off, which, by the way, if you missed last week, killer message last week, Stacy. Thank you for that. At the end of chapter 2, verse 17, here is what the Lord tells his people. Chapter 2, verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words. I don't know about you, but if God's going to address me, that's not something I necessarily want to hear. You have wearied the Lord with your words. You have been talking a whole lot, but you're missing it entirely. That stings a little bit, right? But they want to make it a little bit worse for themselves, so they ask the question, but you say, how? How have we wearied you? How is this, this true, God? Basically, how are we missing it? What, how are we missing the point? And the Lord responds by saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking where is the God of justice. So, so herein lies the assessment of the people of Israel. Apparently, God was completely okay with evil. This is their assessment. And they take it a step further, and they actually say, I think he delights in evil because that's all they could see around them. They only saw suffering and injustice. Nothing had changed. And so they take a read of their circumstance and what's happening to people, and they say, obviously, there's no justice and God doesn't care. He, he must not care about making things right. He must not care about those who are suffering. He must not care about oppression. He must think it's fine because the people who are evil and doing evil things, they continue to do those things and their lives seem to be blessed. So I guess God delights in wrongdoing. 
here's what I find interesting about this passage. Israel was trying to help God understand good and evil. If you flip all the way back to the beginning of your Bible and the story of Genesis, the topic of good and evil is in the narrative. Here it is in Genesis 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely What's the word? Die. The knowledge of good and evil, it had a place in the creation account. It, it was to remain on the tree that God created. He was the one that was responsible for holding the knowledge of good and evil. And the moment that mankind decided, I'm going to take a crack at this, they were deceived and they decide, we're, we're going to kind of figure out what good is, what's good and evil. What happened as soon as they took the, the fruit from the tree? Death. Death in relationship with God. Death in relationship with one another. Death in relationship with creation. So back to Malachi, I wonder if God's weariness is once again from a people taking the fruit of the tree they were never intended to take. The people were attempting to help God understand what was good and what was evil. In fact, they, they had determined that God was actually evil or delighted in evil. This has been a human problem from the very beginning. Through Malachi, God makes it clear that he has an answer to the problem. And the answer was, I'm gonna show up and deal with the problem. And this is what Malachi prophesied, he speaks to, this is what's going to happen, this is what's going to come. God is gonna show up and he's gonna address some things. But just a reminder of the timeline, if you're new to the conversation, this letter from Malachi, it's 450 BC. And so we're 400 years removed from when Jesus actually showed up. So for 400 years, there is silence between Malachi and the New Testament. So the next time you're getting ready to throw your remote at your TV because it's streaming too slow, just think about this. 400 years of waiting for the promise of God. We can't even wrap our head around that today. 400 years. Just because God is not speaking or speaking loudly does not negate the fact that he has a plan and he's working it out in his timing. That's true for your life. That's true for my life. That was true for their life. There was just a long period of waiting. God is, is always at work. And he is incredibly faithful to accomplish the work that he starts. We can bank, we can take that one to the bank. Here's what he says 
to the people picking up in verse one of chapter three. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. Now from our place in history, we can look at the text and we know this to be John the Baptist. You can find it in Luke chapter three. John is this guy identified as one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And how did John, if you remember from the gospels, how did John prepare the way for Jesus? He preached a message of repentance. They were to acknowledge their wrongdoing. They were to acknowledge their sins. They were to confess where they missed it. They were to address their injustices and their abuses. And they were to change course to repent. They were to, to no longer steal They were to no longer oppress. They were to turn from that. And in doing that, they were preparing their hearts to receive from Jesus. He brought a message of repentance. And who was the message for? Who was the message of repentance for? Everybody. The message was for all. And this is where things get uncomfortable. So buckle up. When the Jewish people cried out to God, they were observing a world around them filled with injustice and suffering and pain. And from their observation and their perspective, God looked down on them and was weary with what they were assessing, with what they were saying. Because they were missing something really important they were equally as guilty for all the wrong in the world. The message of repentance and change wasn't just for those people. It was for them too. They needed to repent. And I think, man, I think that this prophetic word from a long time ago is very relevant today. instead of dishing out judgment on our preferred platforms and finding people to blame for all the madness in the world, we should be on our face before a holy God saying, God, forgive me for all the ways I've missed the mark. Lord, Lord, find any offensive way in my heart and restore and heal me. Search me, God. The places that I can't see, help me see so that I can turn them over to you. Continuing verse two, Malachi describes the coming of Jesus. He says this, but, but who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. This imagery is awesome. It is so beautiful. If, if you're a metal worker, which I'm, I'm sure we don't have many, maybe we do. <laughs> but 
in metalworking, you refine material by putting it in extreme heat. And when it melts down and becomes so hot, all of the impurities that are within the metal rise to the surface. And so as a metal worker, you heat up something extremely hot, the impurities come to the surface, it's called dross, and you sweep that away, and you do it again, and more impurities come to the surface, and you sweep them away, and more impurities come to the surface, and you sweep them away. Jesus, in this text, is, is being connected to the refining fire. He is the refiner. Just like in metalworking, you raise the heat of something and you begin to see what's impure. Have you noticed that when things get challenging or overwhelming, all of the impurities that are in your life tend to bubble up to the surface? Anybody? Jesus is the refiner's fire whose very presence turns up the heat. Read the Gospels. When, when Jesus began his ministry, it was hot wherever he went. Because his very life and his message and the way that he lived was cranking up the heat and making people ask questions that they never asked and making them think about the darkness in their own hearts, making them reflect on their decisions. His very presence was turning up the heat. And they were beginning to see the impurities that were under the surface. Fuller soap, it's the same idea. Fuller soap is used to clean and whiten material to, to remove the impurities, to cleanse something and make it beautiful again. So this is how Jesus is described as the refiner's fire and the fuller soap. My guess is if you've walked with Jesus for any length of time, you've experienced him in this way. That he doesn't just rescue you he refines you, he transforms you, he changes your life. He, he makes you think about things that maybe you didn't want to think about. He makes you face things that maybe you've tried to avoid. Why? Because he loves you and he's trying to purify you and make you whole and righteous. What I find striking in this section is that the sons of Levi are the first people group mentioned in verse 3. And later, he's going to address the uh, idolaters and the oppressors. But Jesus' first mission was to deal with the sons of Levi. Who were these guys, the sons of Levi? They were the priesthood. They were given an important job all the way back in Numbers. They were a people set apart and called into the service of the Lord to care for the place of God's presence. Now for the Bible buffs in the room, when they were traveling in the desert, where was God's presence? Tabernacle. Okay, we showed a picture of this a couple weeks ago. God's presence was in the tabernacle. So their job as, as the Levites, their job was to set this whole thing up and to do all of the activity surrounding the tabernacle, the sacrifices and the worship. And then when God would say it's time to move, they would pack it all up 
and they would carry it to the next site and they would set it all up again and they would start the sacrifices and the worship again. This was the job of the Levites. Now, the presence of God moved from the tabernacle to the, the temple, right? And the Levites had the same job. Their job was to work in service of the Lord and offer sacrifices and worship and kind of organize things in the temple. This was their job. So, so the Levites were intimately connected with the things of God. If anybody knew the expectations and the things that God required, the Levites should have known these things, correct? When Malachi spoke of Jesus coming as the refiner's fire, who were the first people to be refined? The Levites. The believers. The ones who carried the story of God. So let's draw a connection to why this matters to us today. There's one more transition that takes place in the scriptures that's important. We discussed the presence of God moving into this tabernacle, this mobile dwelling, and then it moved into this temple, this kind of permanent dwelling in Jerusalem. But there's one more transition that takes place in Acts. In Acts 2, the presence of God gets a new address. Verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were filled, all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Fire is, is symbolic of the presence of God throughout the entire Bible. And so it's clear in this text that God's presence is now moving from the temple and it's moving into a people. His presence is no longer in this stationary building in Jerusalem. It is in the people of God. Now I'm going to connect this back to Malachi. 1 Peter chapter 2, we've got to stop there first, describes followers of Jesus like this. But you are a chosen race, a royal, what's the word? A holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So Peter, this is awesome, he defines a new priesthood. Here's the priesthood, you and me. Just like the Levites were called into the task of living a life around the presence of God and offering sacrifices and worship. Now you and I are called to do that task. We are the priesthood. You and I are the priests. And where is the presence of God? It's inside of us. We're called to carry the presence of God, the way of God, and to be a light in the dark world. If you agree with that, say amen this morning. When Jesus showed up, 
as Malachi promised, he addressed the priesthood. He confronted those who were in service to the Lord. And if you remember, those who were in service of the Lord and understood God the best actually understood God the least. And they had some heart work to do. They needed to be refined by the refiner. They need to be transformed. Their, their lifestyle and their words only made God weary. So today, in our present time, would you agree that the priesthood of all believers, those who claim Jesus as Lord and desire to make his presence known, is it possible that the people of God, those who claim to be Jesus' followers, are in need of a bit of refining? Those who claim to be a Christian, the term Christian has come to mean a whole lot of things that actually has nothing to do with Christ. And I would say that that all of those things are the dross that needs to be burned to the surface and wiped away. If you've ever heard or seen or experienced a Jesus follower that is nothing like Jesus, could it be that there's some dross that needs to be brought to the surface and wiped away? We need to stop wearying God with our fruitless arguments and our division over politics and personal preferences. Because I think we do weary God in those things. When the main thing isn't the main thing anymore. And we no longer look like the Son. We no longer look like the Savior who has redeemed us and restored us. We look like a whole lot of other things. We need to submit ourselves once again to the refiner of our soul and allow his spirit to burn away the things inside of us that need to be removed. Jesus came for this purpose and it didn't start with the outside world. It started with those who knew his name. Now watch what happens. I'll wrap this thing up. Worship team, you guys can join me. Watch what happens according to Malachi as the result. Verse four. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. In the end, who will bring the final judgment? God. And guess what? It will be swift and sure. When God returns, there will be no question who's king. 
There will, there will be no question what's right or wrong. Because when God returns, guess who's holding right and wrong again? God. There will be zero question. And in the meantime, we're meant to live lives as witnesses to the presence of God amongst us in our communities and in our families. We're called to be the priesthood, people who keep our hearts before Jesus and say, Lord, you are the refiner of my soul. What you say goes. Where you direct, I want to follow. What you say stays, stays. Whatever you direct me in, I'm responding to the work of your spirit. Have your way with me. That between now and the return, that is the work of a follower of Jesus. What does it look like to bring your heart before the Lord and say, search me? Search me. Identify the things that I need to let go of. Identify the things that I'm that I'm identified with that are not you. Point out the areas that I've been trying to avoid. And Lord, save me. Here's the beautiful thing about the refiner's fire picture. When those impurities come to the surface, you want to know who sweeps them away? Jesus. Your job isn't to fix your sin or deal with your sin. Our jobs are to bring our brokenness before the Savior and he restores and heals us and forgives us of our sins. That's good news today, man. And I think really any time that we come together in the name of Jesus, we're, we're bringing ourselves close to the refiner saying, I'm ready, God. I'm ready. Would you encourage the things in me that you've placed strengthen me for the task ahead. But Lord, if there's things that you need to work out and, and swipe away and things that I need to confess today, I'm ready, let's go. Because you're the most important thing in my life. As with the first followers of Jesus, the right way to relationship is through repentance and it's how we prepare our hearts to receive what the Lord has for us. It was true when John the Baptist came and said, repent. It's true today. If we want to receive from what the Lord has, we've got to turn from, away from the things that have our attention and our focus. Will you pray with me today, Lord? This morning, we discussed this ancient text that is not ancient in its power and its purpose today. Human beings have not changed a whole lot. We have not changed a whole lot. We find ourselves in the same battles of trying to help you do your job. <laughs> today we we come to you with hearts that are hungry for what you have. And Lord, we submit our brokenness and our failures and our fears 
And Lord, we ask for the power of your spirit to help us see and to help us walk in a way that honors you and that points people to your saving grace and mercy. Refine us today, God. Restore us today. Heal us. Heal us today, God. We pray these things in your name. Amen.